Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Good morning. Good morning. So we are in the middle of, um, we're not in the middle of this year, but we're in the first third of it, which means we're doing the inward the upward and the outward journey. And so we've been sharing about the inward journey the first third of the year, and Bill and Mary Lee will culminate the inward journey with a healing restoration um, topic next week, and then we will start with the upward journey. The, we, when we got together as a leadership team and felt like this was what we needed to share on, I want you to understand that the inward, the upward, and the outward, they're all happening in you at the same time but we can't teach you about all of those three at the same time because that would be confusing. So we chose to put it in this order. And I am going to be talking today about forgiveness, which I believe is the cornerstone of our faith. It is the key to our freedom. And first service, we had a word come forward about God unlocking prison doors. And um, Kathy just shared about being in a cocoon and breaking forth, and I just um, had not shared with any of anybody else that the um, key to our freedom is um, forgiveness. So I think that's really awesome that God just sets me up so nicely. But what I wanted to do as I was getting researching this topic, which I have intensively had to practice on my own, uh, I found a video that I want to share with you. So if the sound or the, the graphics team could. We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20, and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This. Close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow, she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, 
They are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself, and I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience of one. Steve Hartman, CBS News. Minneapolis. For all you've done for me. So, um, there was a few things that stuck out to me um, about this video. And one of them was the announcer who said, it is one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant, and everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. You hold one of the most potent powers here on earth, and that's forgiveness. Mary said, unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out, and forgiveness does not diminish what was done. It's for me. And I, and I want you to remember these things as we, we talk today because the last one is what O'Shea said about I'm learning to forgive myself, that it is also a process that you go through. And um, I, I did a little more research because the, the video was so powerful. I, I went in and investigated a little more, and it's very interesting. The... the um, she didn't just like walk into prison and say, oh yeah, you don't know me and I don't know you and so I want to forgive you. She was a blethering wreck. In uh, the longer video, <clears throat> which I didn't, I didn't, we don't have time to show, show, she says that I was standing there and we had talked and I asked if I could come back again. And he said yes and then she fell into a puddle she just started sobbing and started to fall, and he picked her up. I mean, she hadn't fallen. He just held her, hugged her, and held on, and she said she knew at that moment it broke. The unforgiveness just was gone. And um, she has gone on to start a support group for those who have experienced a homicide in their family, and it's called From Death to Life. So if anybody wants to check that out, it's just very, um, very powerful ministry, very powerful stories. If you um, just Google them, there's just a lot out there about that. But I think it's interesting that we in the church understand that forgiveness is the key to everything because we've been forgiven so much. And the world doesn't understand it. I mean, yes, I know that all of us are collectively going, that'd be hard to do. But we know that it's the right thing to do. The world does not look at it that way, which is why it's probably gotten so much attention. Um, so when we talk about forgiveness today, we, I want to start with talking about unforgiveness. And unforgiveness 
is like a seed that's planted. Well, actually, it's not even the seed. The wound that you experience is the seed that's planted in your heart. And what grows out of that is unforgiveness waters and, and cultivates and uh, takes care of that wound and it protects it and it lets it just spring up and it becomes anger and bitterness, slander, resentment, hatred, and vengeance. And one commentator I read said it's kind of like a slide that you start with unforgiveness and you slide down this, this slope and that's where you end up is you're, you're seeking revenge. And um, those who... Um, and we all know people in this world who are stuck in a bitter, unhappy state. And I would challenge you that whoever that is, whoever you know that is, is stuck in that place, that if you look hard enough, you will find at the root unforgiveness. You'll find a place where they were wounded and they couldn't forgive and they couldn't let go. And so they're stuck in that, that cycle of anger and bitterness and resentment. And then they, they, they take it out on everybody else. I mean, unforgiveness, just like, just like what Mary said about being at cancer, I think of it as just like an infection. And an infection, when not treated, just spreads. And it spreads to your whole life. And it not only spreads to your whole life, but it spreads to your relationships. It can affect all of your relationships. When you have unforgiveness with one person, you take that with you, and it affects other people. Just think, if I am talking with my friend, if Beth and I are talking about somebody or something that's happening in my life, and I'm like, that person, oh my gosh, they, they, I'm, her take might be, wow, you won't forgive them, so I better not mess up. Because maybe you won't forgive me, you know? It can affect relationships. Um, and, and our hearts become a prison where you keep the offended person in. You keep, you keep your, your heart is that cage that you keep who's offended you in. And you spend so much time protecting that cage. You know, I mean, prisons are expensive to run because they have to have guards and you have to have, you know, you're taking care of everything. When you do that in your heart, you're spending all your time and effort making sure that that cage stays intact, that that person doesn't get out. Your heart is not free to love. And it's not free to receive love either. And we cannot have peace when we're so busy keeping our prison intact. Turn the page. So the key to unlocking that prison is forgiveness. The goal of forgiveness, or, um, so I heard uh, Scott Jones, he is the uh, uh, pastor of New Day, South Carolina, and I heard him talking about forgiveness one time, and he said, forgiveness should be like breathing. You know, you breathe in and you breathe out. It just is automatic. Forgiveness should be the same way. That you should, you're a, you know, somebody hurts you, you should forgive. And just let that be like breathing. And, and I thought about that. You know, breathing, <laughs> just taking breath, gives your body life. Forgiveness gives your spirit life. You know, it is the same thing. that You want life in your spirit, you need to forgive you need to receive forgiveness from God, and you need to extend forgiveness to others. 
And the goal is we want to be free to love. We don't want our hearts to be caged. We want our hearts to be open to love and receive love. We want to be open to receive love from God, to extend love to him, and then mimic what he does and, and do that for others. And um, today I, I want to share with you out of Matthew. And um, <laughs> I love the Bible. I do love the Bible. But I have to be honest. I much prefer books that they start here at the beginning of a timeline, you know, January 1st, and then they go along and they go in chronological order to the end. The Bible doesn't do that. So I really appreciate the Gospels because at least they start with Jesus' birth and they end with the resurrection. So at least I can kind of follow. So I'm going to suppose that what I'm talking to you about today is a timeline, okay? So just work with me. I don't know if Matthew 5 actually came before Matthew 18, which we're going to get to because I didn't research it, sorry. But, I, but I'm t- for today, just go with me. So Matthew 5 comes first. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Okay, so he's pretty clear. There's no, <laughs> there's no mincing words. There's no parable to be understood here. This is plain. This is what you have to do. Now, I'm going to um, suggest that if you are harboring any unforgiveness, that might be hard to do. I, I don't know about you, but if I, if I have unforgiveness in my heart, loving my enemy is going to be difficult. Um, I might say, yeah, bless them, Lord. Not sure that's going to be very effective. Um, I could do good, you know, maybe throw them a basket of food or something, probably won't be received in the manner that I think Jesus was telling us to do that. And I don't know how effective my prayers for them might be if I'm holding on to unforgiveness. Now, so in this story, uh, so in my story, so we have Jesus telling the disciples this, and then we jump ahead, I'm hoping, to Matthew 18, where Peter comes to Jesus, and I think Peter was probably ruminating. Okay, now wait a second. I'm supposed to love my enemies. I'm supposed to bless them, do good, pray for them. Okay, so then he goes, all right, well, now wait a second. He comes up to the Lord, and he says, how many times should I forgive someone who does something wrong to me? Is seven times enough? Stop right there. Seven times. Why did he pick seven times? What? I mean, seven is a significant number in the Bible. We've all heard that before. But I think it's because in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, you had the altar and on this side, and then you had the mercy seat over here. And one day a year, called the Day of Atonement, the priest would go and take care of your sins. And he would kill the lamb, and he would take the blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat, and he would do that seven times. He would go back and forth seven times. So I think Peter's going, okay, for it to be enough would be seven times. I mean, it was enough for the Day of Atonement, so it must be enough for, for me. <laughs> and Jesus goes, oh, nay, nay. <laughs> 
Jesus answered, not even seven times, but 77 times. In other translations, it says 70 times seven. Um, In some translations, it says seven times seven. You know, the point is, back then, if you were to forgive somebody, I think you might lose track probably 20, I think. Now, smartphones, maybe you could keep track, you know, but back then they didn't have those. So I don't, you know, I mean, keeping track might have been a little more difficult. I'm sure that, you know, so the point is, it doesn't matter. You're not keeping track. So many times that you can't keep track, that's how many times you forgive. And then Jesus, you know, I, I had always read this verse separately from the parable. But, but what happens next is Jesus says, let me tell you a story that shows you what the kingdom of heaven is like, what we're supposed to be like, what our, our church, us that are following Jesus, what the kingdom is like. And he says, sorry, turn the page. He says, one day, a king decided to call in his officials and ask them to give an account of what they owed him. As he was doing this, one official was brought in who owed him 50 million silver coins. But he didn't have any money to pay what he owed. The king ordered him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all he owned, in order to pay the debt. The official got down on his knees and began begging, have pity on me, and I will pay you every cent I owe you. And right there, that um, I beg you, he was, he was on his face, on the ground, and there was the, um, the most ultimate, you know, show of, you know, I'm lowly, you're high, is to put your forehead on the ground. And he kept doing that over and over. That's what that, I and begged him. He was showing himself prostrate on the ground, whatever, I need to beg you. I'm lowly, you're high, I, whatever it takes. And the king felt sorry for him. He was moved to compassion for him. And he let him go free. And not only did he let him go free, but he told the official, you don't even have to pay back the money. Just free and clear. You're, you, you don't even owe me anything. I'm just going to let you go free. That's amazing. But then... The official, as the official was leaving, leaving, maybe, supposition by Kathy, maybe it was a little too much for his pride to take that he had to beg for forgiveness. Maybe he decided to take it out on the one he happened to meet, another official who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed the man by the throat. He started choking him. I like this version. <clears throat> Sorry. And said, pay me what you owe. The man got down on his knees and began begging in the same manner that he was just in. Now here's somebody at his feet saying, have pity on me. I will pay you back. Okay, let's just stop for a minute. 50 million coins, 100. You don't have to pay 50 million. 100? Really? You can't just like, okay, well, he couldn't. And, but the first official refused to have pity. Instead, he went over to the other officer put him in jail until he could pay what he owed. Now, with some other officials, they use a lot of officials. Anyway, some other guys found out about what happened. They felt sorry for the man who had been put in jail, and they went and told the king what had happened. Okay, so now the king finds out. And the king called the first official back in and says, 
you're an evil man. When you begged for mercy, I said you didn't have to pay back a cent. Don't you think you could show pity to someone else as I did to you? The king was so angry that he ordered the official to be tortured until he could pay back everything he owed. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also to you, unless each one of you from your hearts forgives his brother their trespasses. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of, of um, a lot to be said about, about this, um, and I'm not seminary scholar that Mark or some of these other guys are, but I want to propose to you that this account, besides the implications of eternity, have real implications for right now. This doesn't say later at judgment day. It says right now he turned them over to the torture. And what, what we know to be true is when you don't forgive, you have suffering in your life. There are effects in your life right now. And one of the things I, I went to, I found in uh, psychology today, they did a study on, on forgiveness. And what they did is they decided they took these people who had unforgiveness, some anger issues, you know, whatever, and then they had people who didn't. And they did MRI, um, you know, uh, scans on them, on their brains. And the people who, didn't, who had unforgiveness, who were angry, their brains, the place where their adrenaline gets released when you're angry, stayed in a constant state. It just was constantly there, where the people who had forgiven didn't have that. And they said, they said, if someone is stuck in this state, what they're essentially doing is being in a state of adrenaline. And some of the negative health consequences of not forgiving or being, or being stuck there are high blood pressure, anxiety, depression, not having a good immune system, you're constantly putting your energy somewhere else. That's the physical side effects. That is like science shows that that's what happens. The suffering is real right now. And I would go a step further and say, you know, you're, you're keeping your unforgiveness, you're keeping it, and you're expecting God to do what for you? Ouch. You know, and he says, well, I'd really like you to change. Maybe I should turn you over, and you can reap what you're sowing. Ouch. Now, but we know this. Yay, we know that there is a consequence for unforgiveness. So what do we do? Well, let's forgive. Oh, that's so much better, so much easier. But there's a few myths I, wanna, I want to um, uncover first. Because when I talk about forgiveness, people go, well, but, blah, 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 blah. well, let's talk about forgiveness. The first myth is forgiveness is a decision, an act of will. Well, that's, that's true. It is an act of will, but it's also a process. It's something that you decide to do, but then it's a process that you go through. And sometimes not everything is easy to forgive. And, it, and just, just like O'Shea, he's in process. You know, I do believe that sometimes when, uh, especially if you're trying to forgive yourself, and I've experienced this 
in my life that I, I wanted to, you know, I was struggling with an issue, and it just keep, kept coming up and coming up. And, and it was a process to finally get to the place where I just was like, okay, I now I see my forgiveness. And, and other times, I have an area where I just ask for to be forgiven, and it's just gone. And I, and I don't know if it's because of how many times you imprint that scenario in your head, how many times you've ruminated about it, or, um, or what the circumstances are, if those all make a difference. It's different for every person. But the important part is you can be in process of forgiving. The next myth is refusing to forgive shows that I value accountability. Has anybody ever, you know, heard them say, well, I'm not going to forgive them because I don't want to be hurt by them again. Okay, that doesn't work so well. Um, first of all, when you refuse to forgive, it means you're lusting for revenge and you're struggling to trust God to do the best thing. In essence, you're saying, really, God? Yeah, you're forgiving and stuff, so you might not, like, give them justice. So I'll just handle it myself. And then we have to go back to the whole, you know, with the judgment you give, he will judge you. And so really, do you want to do that? I don't think we do. So, you know, you have to be if you're stuck in a place, you might have to go and say, okay, do I trust God? And if you don't trust God, you might need to get forgiveness. Yeah, so it's just a cycle, I'm telling you. Okay, so the next myth is forgiveness and reconciliation are the same thing. That is not at all the truth. Forgiveness is you by yourself. You forgive. Reconciliation takes two people, and they both have to be willing. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've had somebody who's unwilling to reconcile, but you cannot make somebody else do something. So you have to be, um, you're responsible for you. You have to do what God's asked you to do, which is to forgive them and then allow that reconciliation. If it's supposed to happen, just give it up to the Lord and he will take care of that. Um, and the next one is I need to tell that person that I forgave them. Well, not so much. You don't necessarily need to tell them that you forgave them. Now, a couple situations. One, it could be somebody who, um, you know, some people have issues with a parent who's died. It's going to be a little difficult, okay? So that, but you still need to forgive. Um, it could be somebody that you knew a long time ago, you've lost track of. That doesn't mean you can't forgive them. You can still forgive them even if you don't see them. Um, another situation that might not be, if you are still in process, you might come across like, well, you know, you did this and this and this, and but I've forgiven you. Are you still looking for some judgment to be meted out? Are you looking for them to apologize? What's your motivation for telling them that you forgive them? And that might be... Um, you might need to stop and go, why is it that I'm looking for that? And um, so, and sometimes God does say that you need to go, and, and, and he is very clear in the Bible, especially with, with us, one another. If we have a problem, we need to reconcile because we're the body of Christ. We're the family. We do need to do that with one another. But that doesn't mean that there's people that you, you know, whatever the circumstances are, and I think you guys no, there are some times where you just don't need to go and talk to them about how you've forgiven them. Um, okay, so what? how does this process work? Well, we are talking, um, 
about healing and restoration, we have a paper. It's on the back side of that uh, banner on the table. There's a how to forgive, and it's from our healing and restoration um, plethora of information, and I'm just going to walk you through a little bit of it, and you can take that, and you can utilize it. If something comes up later, and you're like, oh, what did she say? The, the steps are all outlined there, okay? So the first thing you need to do is acknowledge the hurt, and I, I want to be very clear. Sometimes you know you know, like, oh, okay, Joe hurt me, and this is what happened, and you need to, you know that, but sometimes, and Joe never hurt me, okay, just, she didn't hurt me, um, well, we know how she is, you know, she smiles all the time, that's really hurtful, no, I'm just kidding, um, so, but sometimes, have you ever been just, like, angry, and you don't know why, ever been just, like, oh, Sometimes you might need to analyze and go, okay, where did that start? What, you can ask God, so, and sometimes God will just go, boom, this is where it's from. Sometimes it's a, okay, every time I walk into this place, I start to feel it happening, or this was the trigger. And then, then kind of, you might have to do a little diagnostic and go, you know what, I think it's this. This is where it started. This is what happened. And then you need to... Um, then you need to forgive. And this is really important. You need to separate the person from the thing. So, and, and I, <laughs> I, was, I was practicing for this morning, and I was, um, I was going through this, and I got to right here. And, and so I was practicing in front of the computer, and I was talking, and immediately God said, yeah, you need to do that right now. I was like, oh, what? <clears throat> so um, it looked a little like this. My mom's husband hurt me, um, just was mean to me with words a long time ago. And if I told you how long ago, then you'd figure out how old it was, so never mind. But anyway, he hurt me a long time ago, and I have forgiven him. You know, I've forgiven him. Like, oh, yeah, I forgive Dale for, you know, hurting me. Okay. And God said, no, you need to forgive him. Like, I forgive him for doing this. And this is how it felt. And I have to be that specific. And the reason is this. Has anybody ever worked with wood? And you've picked up a piece of wood, a piece of lumber, and it slipped and then you get all these little slivers in your hands. Has anybody ever done that before, right? Okay, the wood is separate from the little slivers. And if you pull out the slivers and you leave one, that one will get infected. And that infection will spread. And you're saying, well, I, I already forgave, you know, all this stuff. Well, you forgot one thing. And, I, and I'm not, it's not to be, I'm not, uh, I don't want to come across as like, you should be afraid that you'll forget something. God will remind you. But you can't hold, withhold something, and that's the point. You need to be specific, and you need to say, I forgive him for this. I, for, I believe that you have to be that specific. And say each thing. And then you can release that person. You can release them from what they've done, and you can say, you know what, God? I release them to you, and I don't you know what, I don't even want them to have judgment. Just I want them to be free. 
because you sent your son to die for me so that I can be free. And that same grace extends to them. And that is, that is really important to be able to say those things and to, to really come to that place where you can just let them be free. Let God deal with them in however manner. And I say that because a long time ago I had this issue with this person um, who I was working with, and he was just a not nice person. And so I prayed things like, yes. I pray that he be blessed and that you heap coals of fire on his head. Probably not as effective. I, and it, I mean, at least I was praying. I'm just not sure how effective it was. And I mean, it did, it did release something. I was starting in process. But we want to let God deal with them. You know, I don't want, and because God's way more creative than I am. You know, his, I want his, him to take care of the issue and let me, let me be me and not try to be God. Um, and then it's very crucial that you confess and repent for your unforgiveness. You know what? Well, I've held on to this. And when I was praying through about my mom's husband, I realized I've been holding on to this such a long time. As a matter of fact, when I speak of him, I don't speak very nicely. And my husband has joined in because he's like, oh, you don't like him? I don't like him. Good husband. Yes. <laughs> hmm. Wait. <laughs> now we both are being mean. No, and I was never, I have not been mean to him, but every, every time I'm around, there's just this, and you know what? It's not nice. It's not nice to carry that. It's not nice to feel that. And, um, and then once you've confessed your unforgiveness, because that is a sin by not forgiving, and you repent, then you need to listen for the truth. And that's when you can find that compassion. And, um, and, um, so this last story I wanted to share with you was about um, my first husband. And uh, uh, my first husband and I were married, and we uh, got divorced, and it was a very ugly, very nasty divorce. Um, it was, we were not nice um, about one another. I, I did, I think, a pretty good job of, you know, keeping most of it from most people. I didn't try to talk bad about him or anything. But, um, and so a couple of years went by, and I was able to walk through and forgive him for the things that he did. And uh, a couple of years ago, I was in, and you guys may have heard this story before, but I was in, um, I was taking my two young sons over to visit him. And when I left, God said to me, you know, glad you've forgiven him, but what about what you did? Because, you know, a marriage is two people. And every relationship is two people. And it wasn't all him. There was plenty of blame to be shared. And so when I went to pick up the kids, I, I asked them to step outside. And, and then I, I said to my first husband, his name is John. And I just said, you know, John, I, um, I want to, I know that, you know, our marriage, there were lots of things and and there were good things and there were bad things. And I said, but I know that there were things that I did wrong. And I need you to forgive me. And he was very gracious. And he said, of course. 
said, you deserve to be happy. He said some wonderful things. And you know something broke? Something broke in me. And I, I can feel the compassion to him. I, he recently was sick, and I was able to go and, or I, I, not go, I had feelings of, wow, I don't want him to be ill. I want to pray for him. I want to show him love. And that doesn't come just out of my own will. That came from me breaking off things and breaking off unforgiveness. And, and last, two weeks ago, whenever we did Bless the Neighbor, Bless the Nation, um, when we were talking about who we were going to give bags to, and I, I thought I saw God say I needed to give a bag to him. And I thought, oh, no, no, no. That's, that's just weird. That's being me. And, um, and then a couple days later, I found out there was more, there was still some leftovers, and so um, some leftover. And so I asked Pastor Cameron for permission, which kind of looked at me like, well, yeah, go ahead. Um, but I went afraid. I, one, I didn't want it to be weird. I didn't want it to be, I didn't want it to come across as insulting or anything like that. So I went over there and I knocked on the door and his girlfriend answered and I said, you know, we're doing this thing where we want to bless people. And I, I just really felt like God said, I, you know, that you could use it. And she hugged me. She took me in to talk to John, who's not doing well physically. And we had a great conversation. You know, I was able to do what Matthew 5 says. I could show. I could bless him. I could do good. I could pray for him. I could love, you know, in a compassionate way. Because I experienced forgiveness. You know, I, I gave it and I received it. And that's so important. The goal is freedom. That's what the goal is. It's freedom. That we could be set free. That's why forgiveness is so important. It's what Jesus did for us. It's what we need to do for one another. So I'd like to close today. And I'd, I'd like to um, ask you guys all to take a minute. I'm just going to pray for you. And I, wanna, I just want to ask that you open your hearts. Close your eyes right now and just open your hearts and, and just allow God to show you any area in your life where you may have harbored unforgiveness, where you've held on to something that, that God wants you to be free of. So, Father, just come right now. Holy Spirit, just open our eyes to see any area where we need freedom. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Okay, yeah. And so the process is simple. If God showed you something or someone, then you just say, I choose to forgive that person for what they did. You release them. And then you ask them to, and ask God to forgive you 
And then ask him to see how it is that he sees them or how it is he sees you.